and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to A Quarter of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Today is episode three of season six, uh, and we are discussing the Ten Commandments. So today our uh, focus or our emphasis is on the second commandment. Yes. Very confusing, isn't it? (laughs) I did have to pause for just a minute, even though we talked about it like 10 seconds ago. 10 seconds ago. like (laughs) We had an introductory episode and... And then episode two was on the first commandment. And now episode three is on the second commandment. Yes. And we just fell off. So yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I suggested the solution of the intro could have been season a, or I mean, episode a, Yeah, and then we went one, two, three, but it's all right. Yeah. We have a smart audience though. Yeah. We like to just keep everybody on their toes. A yeah. Little bit. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to figure it out. So we've been talking about the, uh, Ten Commandments, um, very important. If we're going to have a Christian culture or pursue Christian culture, it's, we need a uh, common morality. Um, these, everything builds from these ideas of what is right and what is wrong. And um, we talked about how the, you know, God, uh, or that the, the, the scripture reveals to us that the, uh, the sum of all God's commandments uh, can be found in love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And that um, this is a summary or um, of, of all of God's law. And those laws can be summarily comprehended in the 10 commandments. Yes. Yes. There we go. I know that sounds very confusing. So what we've been doing is going through each of the, we're going through each of the commandments and we're looking particularly at Westminster shorter catechism to Mm -hmm. kind of see the extent of the meaning, if, if it's summarily comprehended in just the, the command, um, we want to talk about the, the catechism can kind of demonstrate the broader aspect. Yeah. Flesh it out a little bit. Flesh it out. And Mm -hmm. on occasion, like maybe today and next episode, I think too, we're going to, we'll, we'll delve in a little bit to the uh, larger catechism, Mm -hmm. Mr. Larger catechism, just to, um, show even more. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first command was that we should have no other God. There's one God. He's our God. He's the one that saved us and we're his people and we should not worship any other God. And so this next commandment, the second command is, um, kind of follows with it. Mm-hmm. And so if the first has to do with gods, right? No other gods. This one then is going to talk about more about how we worship that one God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we get that confused. Yes. Like that, that it's, when it's talking about no idols, it's, that's what's saying we shouldn't worship other gods. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, scripture has shown attempts of God's people making idols to worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Right. So the golden calf was the idea, well, you know, here's the Lord who took us out of Egypt and they made a a bowl Mm -hmm. as an image of the God that took him out of Egypt. And that was not looked upon very well. The Lord was not happy. (laughs) He was not happy. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was a bad thing. And, um, and, and we've, we've seen it too. The, um, when the, the Judah and Israel split or Ephraim split the Northern kingdom from the Southern kingdom, 
um, because God commanded God's people to go to Jerusalem for the feast three times a year. Uh, that's a lot of money leaving the northern kingdom to go down to the southern kingdom. And the thought was, hey, let's make our own temple. Mm-hmm. Let's let's provide other places uh, for sacrifice and worship. And uh, they did that at uh, Bethel and Gilgal. And eventually a temple ended up on Mount Carmel. And, um, and that was uh, completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Even though their intent, well, the king's intent was to keep money in. But, but the people worshiping, um, you think of the Good Samaritan that Jesus encountered, wanted to know, like you Jews say that we're wrong because we worship at Mount Carmel. You guys worship at Jerusalem. And, and um, Jesus says, yeah, you guys are wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there'll be this time where we can all worship in spirit and truth because Jesus was the, um, the true tabernacle, the true temple mm-hmm. and uh, he has given us his spirit so that we can worship him in spirit and truth mm-hmm. um, uh, together. So, so, all right, with all that in mind, we'll, we'll start with the question and answer. So I'm going to ask the questions and Allison's yeah. going to give the answers Yeah, um, from memory. <laughs> no, no. I wish that were so actually we're working on that at our house. Yeah. Cause it's a church effort, church wide effort. We're yeah. memorizing the catechism. We are. All right. Um, I stumble on it all the time. Yeah, that's okay. All right. Question 49. What is the second commandment? The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What is required in the second commandment? The second commandment requires receiving, observing, and keeping pure and whole all the religious worship and ordinances that God has appointed in his word. Okay. If you recall, like from the previous episode, we talked about how the catechism will not only tell us what the positive requirement is, it also talks about what's forbidden. Yes. Or vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. thou shalt not, right? It seems like it's a forbidden, but then there's also things that are required. Yes. And so we're going to, so what's required in it is this receiving, observing, and keeping pure and whole all the religious worship and ordinances that God has appointed mm-hmm. in his word. Meaning we, we can't just do what we want. Right. Right. So what is... Question 51, what is forbidden in the second commandment? The second commandment forbids worship of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. Ah, right. So, so this is, again, like I said, the, the first command, you shall have no other gods before me, is the commandment dealing with other gods. Singularity. Singularity. There's one God, don't worship any others. Mm-hmm idolatry or this, this making of idols is more about, again, how we worship the mm-hmm. one God. Mm-hmm. And so what we see in the catechism here is that it, worship needs to be that which has been appointed by God in his word. And so we can't worship God by the use of images, mm-hmm. right? Even if the images are supposedly of God. right? Um, or any other way not appointed in his word. So to, to make it more clear, there's this other thing I mentioned before, the larger catechism, and it typically goes uh, into a little more depth. So question 109 in the larger catechism uh, asks the question, what are the sins forbidden in the second commandment? The sins forbidden in the second commandment are the following. All devising, counseling, commanding, using, and otherwise approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself. Let's let's stop there for a second. So there's a big list, right? And yes. we're gonna we're gonna pop in and and talk about this. So all devising, right? So so if it's not worship instituted by God Himself, we shouldn't do it, mm-hmm. right? So Allison, you think we should put a maze in our lawn of our church and use that to worship? 
great time to meditate. And no, why? Uh, because it's not commanded by uh, God. But Allison, it's personally meaningful to me. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> God's word doesn't. God, it doesn't say to do that. Right. So we shouldn't do it. Right. Right. And it. This is just sort of uh, a, a, another facet of this, but it really behooves us to know God's word. Yes. You know. Yes. Because you can't know right. what He forbids or commands without knowing. Yeah. His word. Yeah. Um. So if it's not if any devising, counseling, commanding, using, right, approving any religious worship not instituted by God Himself, right? So, so let's let's talk a little bit. I'm gonna share a little bit about a Lutheran perspective mm-hmm. of the Protestant Reformation versus um, a, a more stricter Reformed, okay? So in Luther's Reformation, he took like the mass of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and he took and said, okay, there's all this practice going on within the Roman Catholic Church at the time that was a going against what God's word said. Mm -hmm. And his reformation was basically, if it's against what God's saying, we don't do it. But if it's not against God's, it it would be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So there were practices within Luther's reform that weren't necessarily proscribed in scripture, but the tradition that was going on, it still, it, it wasn't going against the gospel. It wasn't going against it. Mm-hmm. But then later reformers come around and they go, you know, that didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, a, a strict subscription is this, unless God tells us to do this, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, those are the, in the Protestant, in Protestant circles, those are the extremes. Okay. Right. You can do anything as long as it's, uh, pointing, you know, to Jesus still, or it's not going against it versus we should only do what's prescribed. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I'm Presbyterian. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't always, I, I was, um, I was kind of born and raised into an evangelical world that, um, you know, we had our own traditions. We had our own thing. We did things and, uh, we thought they were just fine. They were, not necessarily biblical, but they weren't against what the Bible said. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, Allison, we talked about earlier, like today, just talking about this episode. And, um, you know, one of the things Doug Wilson points out, cause I, I like to quote him or talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun, but he talks about how, how you, you can talk about conversion or coming to Christ and, uh, and someone could say, well, you know, I was baptized when I was an infant and grew up in the church. And then people would go, well, are you saved? Like, are you, are you really a Christian? Mm-hmm. Even though that's kind of what the Bible prescribes. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one would have any problem saying, yeah, I was up at camp. I said the, the sinner's prayer and tossed a pine cone into the fire. And that's my conversion story. And everyone goes, yay, you know, that's so, so awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. Except where's that written, mm-hmm. right? There's the, where's the sinner's prayer? Well, there's really no sinner's prayer. Right. It's not a bad prayer. I'm just saying that we have to understand that methodology that in evangelical circles everywhere seems to be the norm is not proscribed in scripture. Right. And it's kind of new. And it's very new. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot of things are pretty new. Yeah. And, uh, we know better than God. And so what God provided for us is boring and we're going to make it more exciting. Mm -hmm. That sounds very facetious, but it's, um, but it seems to be true. Um, that the, there was this, uh, revivalism that came with the second great awakening and Charles Finney and, um, and people like Billy Sunday and these preachers who felt if, 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 salvation happened by the choice of a human by man, right? It's, it's, it's a man's choice, a person's Mm -hmm. choice to receive or reject Jesus. 
Um, that's called Arminianism. If that's true, then the, the goal of evangelism is to get them to the point of saying a prayer or making a commitment. Mm-hmm. And so they thought the best way is to scare the bejeebers out of them and then give an altar call, mm-hmm. right? Get, get them to think that they're saved. And, and the way they did this was to manipulate their emotions, mm-hmm. right? Com- completely, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus into your heart right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is part of my conversion story <laughs> was I was, uh, I think six years old and um, at a good news club at my neighbor's house across the street. And um, that was an opportunity like, okay, you guys could be, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. Um, and if you want to receive Jesus, ask him into your heart, you know, raise your hand and bow, bow your head, raise your hand and then pray this prayer. And, and these kids were praying this prayer and I was stubborn. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Everyone else is going to, I'm not going to do that. And then it got, it was over. And then we're, I'm walking home and I start to walk across the street. And all of a sudden I am terrified by the idea that I might get hit by a car and die and go to hell. Mm. So I asked Jesus in my heart on my way across the street. So they don't go to hell. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, Allison, is that I remember that distinctly. Mm. And I think God used it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it's necessary to do such things in order for God's spirit to move. Right. Maybe it's not best practice. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's happened is since Charles Finney and the second great awakening and, and you know, the, the, the fire preachers and the altar calls is I think all of us, all of you listening, probably can tell you, tell how many times people you know have gone forward and have rejected Jesus later. Mm-hmm. In other words, is that a real conversion? And then we have to come up with theology to explain it. And the answer is, is that they had an emotional response to something and, and said a prayer that's not prescribed in Scripture, and then they rested on the fact that they were saved. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not what scripture is saying. Right. Right. There needs to be true repentance and there's, and, and receiving of baptism and discipleship within the church. Mm-hmm. So the Mercer, Mercerberg theology, this is the nice uh, Presbyterians right out. And um, there's one guy who wrote uh, um, the ordinary means of grace is enough. Mm-hmm. Right. He wrote, wrote something called the anxious bench. Right. The anxious bench was like hearing the revivalists, you know, and they'd get all anxious on the bench and it's like, oh, I got to go forward. You yeah. know, I'm going to go to hell. And um, but but their idea is, is that what God pres- pres- uh, prescribes in Scripture is enough. Mm-hmm. The ordinary means of grace are enough for our salvation mm-hmm. and we don't need to make up other things. So the ordinary greens means of grace is simply coming to church hearing the word of God uh, read and preached and um, baptism in the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. That's the good boy. That seems pretty boring, Allison. There's no. And unemotional. And unemotional. Yeah. And now it can be unemotional. I mean, there's a lot. You are being undone by the Holy Spirit. Right. When, when, uh, when God's think of, think of the same word. The same word of God that created the universe said, let there be light is the same word that's convicting you of your sin and the same word that's recreating you. Mm-hmm. And so you're, it doesn't matter what kind of a sinner you are. Um, you're, you're the way you think of yourself, the way you feel, the way you, the way you reason, all these things can become undone by that word. And it and it's uh, and that can be a very emotional experience when you realize it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Jesus died because of me. It's right. my sin that put him on the cross, mm-hmm. and now I've received his obedience. I've received his punishment or uh, his uh, his grace, his mercy because of what he did, and it's all my fault. That's a very emotional thing. Yeah. So conversion is is or can be very emotional, but it, it happens in all different ways, right? My, mm-hmm. my goal is raising children who don't have great conversion stories. Right. Boring. You want boring stories. Boring stories. They weren't like, you know, you know, I was 
strung out on drugs. And then I came, came to faith in Jesus and threw a pine cone in the fire. Right. No, it's, it's, um, it's, I was discipled in the church and the, the care and nurture of the church and a Christian family. And we, we prayed and studied and, and worshiped together and, and, um, God's word took hold and Mm-hmm. And a new life has come at the same time as they're growing up. And it's hard to distinguish. Right. One from the other. One yeah. from the other. That boring is the testimony of God's grace on covenant children. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's actually not boring. It isn't. It's just maybe feels mundane or unexciting Yeah, uh, because there's not this drama involved. Yeah, I think there can be a difficult thing if if your church, um, it, and this is the normal practice, um, and then, um, but but because it seems to be that normal, we'll start downplaying it, and um, and perhaps you're you then start losing confidence that the word of God does anything, mm-hmm. and if you give if you go to church, like I think of all these churches. They're dying, right? A lot of mainline churches are just dying. They're, mm. they're getting old and dying. Well, what happened to their kids? Well, if the power of the gospel is not present there, mm-hmm. because they're not preaching, they're not they're not confident in God's word, His ordinary means of grace as being able to save. Um, then they have to come up with something else to do, mm-hmm. you know, social justice or social club or. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And you and you ask, like, when's the last time you've seen a conversion? Like someone, a sinner, repent and become a believer and see new life and the fruit of that conversion. When's the last time that happened in this church? And you'll talk to some, I'll talk to some people and they don't remember. Mm. It's been that long. That's well, sad. no, it is sad. Don't use they should have closed their doors many, many years ago and let a, a faithful church body use exactly. their facility. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so all devising, counseling, commanding, using, otherwise approving of any religious worship is not instituted by God himself. Right. That's, that's you know, forbidden. So yes. let, me, let me bring up Christmas. Woohoo. Right. I love Christmas. I love Christmas too. Allison, is it commanded anywhere in scripture to commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ? No. No. God never said, thou shalt remember yearly the birth of the Messiah. Not there. Not there. Um, Is it a reasonable thing to do so? Yes. Yeah. Is it a good thing to do so? Yes. Can we? Yes. Should we command that our people do it? No. No. Right? Our, Our Jacobswell Church, our Presbyterian Church, We'll have a good Friday or a, uh, uh, you know, Christmas Eve service. If I had, if we had members of the church come up to us and say, hey, here's a list of people who did not come to this service. So. Right. It's not required. No one needs to go to this. It's a beautiful thing to remember the birth of Jesus, to read the scriptures that, that talk, you know, that, that talked about to. Mm-hmm. The fellowship and celebrate the fact that Jesus was, um, we're not going to throw things in there to make it weird. I don't know how to explain mm-hmm. it, but to, to hear, to sing some songs and to, to read scripture, nothing wrong with that. There's a, there's good things about it. What would be wrong is to say, this is part of our church's um, membership vows and you need to attend these feasts or, Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get disciplined by the elders mm-hmm. or you're going to lose your salvation. I don't know. Some crazy things. Yeah. yeah. This issue kind of came up, I think, this last year because Christmas Day was on Sunday. Yes. And so I, I don't know if I can't remember if you and I discussed this, but the, the idea that like some churches were holding their worship services on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And not on Sunday morning. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. I, can I just, I'll just say that outright. That's just wrong. The one thing that we do know we need to do by God's word is to gather today on his day, the Lord's day, Sunday, mm-hmm. to worship him. Right. And have the ordinary 
for the ordinary means of grace. Yes. So I, I remember seeing one church in town and the, the advertising says, you know, Christmas is family time. So we're just, we're going to be closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. What? Like. Right. It's just, that's mixed up. It's very mixed up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, now I, I've heard people say, listen, we're a big church, you know, Christmas comes, I got a lot of staff and volunteers and they go home for Christmas, mm-hmm. which is a good thing to do Yeah, to go home and celebrate with your family and your, you know, the church that you grew up in, what, what have you. Um, but their excuse then is, is that, you know, we'd have to have X number of services and, you know, we, we don't have enough staff and, and people to, mm-hmm. well, you don't need that. Right. Just. Read God's word and proclaim it. Yeah. Preach it. Sing some acapella songs. And so what if the kids are with you? And it might so, be better. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. And everyone knows all the songs anyway. Right. It would be beautiful. Yes. It would be the least commercialized service you've ever done. And everyone would love it. Yes. So you're, you're, you're obeying God's command to worship him on his day. And it just also happens to be Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Our, our made up holidays are no substitute for the Lord's day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I will say Allison that in my view and our view, I think at our session at Jacob's well is not necessarily the same as every, I think there are some um, reform groups who would say that any service outside of the Lord's day um, that's celebrating a particular, that's, that's um, not regular would would be suspect hmm. right so if, if it was the normal practice of jacob's well to have wednesday night services mm-hmm. which aren't prescribed in scripture mm-hmm. but we see it as a good and necessary thing for the the upbuilding of our community um that would totally be in line with god's word mm-hmm. and um um and we we just did that every wednesday um that, that would be fine. But if all of a sudden we're worshiping on a Thursday because it happens to fall on Christmas Eve or something like that, then, or Christmas, then we're, then, then that's adding this thing. That's not biblical. Mm-hmm. You mean by, by sort of uh, making that a substitution for the Lord's day yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even their, their midweek thing because they're see. changing the day why yeah, don't yeah. you just worship do christmas eve on or, or, or talk about christmas Celebrate on it. that wednesday instead yeah. of changing it to mm-hmm. right because it's an inconvenience to the congregation and you know so there are some that would think that and i and i and i get where they're coming from and um but are there's some freedom mm-hmm. i think in christ here yeah um, but the idea is is that we're not we're not adding things mm-hmm. right so you know, the Bible is, is an interesting thing. God commands us to remember his works. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes God pros- proscribes how that's to be done, you know, like setting up an altar mm-hmm. and anointing it or uh, singing a particular hymn or song or, you know, from the Psalms. Um, there, there are these ways in which the people of God remembered. Uh, he established some feasts, right, and celebrations. There are some times where you see God's people like um, Samuel raised an altar called it an Ebenezer. Here I raise my Ebenezer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, God didn't tell him to do that, but he did it. And then um, later on, God talks about it approvingly, mm. right? Or, or um, Jacob, um, when he has the vision of Bethel and he sets the altar and anoints it mm-hmm. and says, you know, this is dwelling place of God. Right. And, mm-hmm. and later on he comes back to it and, and Bethel becomes an important part of, of Israel's history. So there's some human action that God blesses. And it tends to be the idea of remembering what God has done. Mm-hmm. What is not looked on upon is, is human beings inventing things and then saying that God will give you some sort of grace because you pray to it or touch it or bow to it or visit it or celebrate it or mm-hmm. right. That is just uh, completely foreign to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. So 
next season is going to be on feasting mm-hmm. in at the Pal- uh, uh, Port of Three Strands. We're going to talk about feasting. And, and so, you know, it, it was, um, in my opinion, it would be very appropriate to celebrate the feast of Christmas. <laughs> Take a day, celebrate, have people over, eat good food, mm-hmm. and remember that Jesus at the right time came born of a woman, uh, born under the law, you know, to, to do that. You know, this, this incarnation is just the most amazing thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and to talk about it and to celebrate it and to, to have uh, good cheer and, and, and all that stuff. And, and the church did this kind of thing and they developed feasts and it was the day off for Christians. And, mm-hmm. You know, the Lord's provided food for the serfs and, you know, it's just a good, good thing. Mm-hmm. But eventually what happened is, is that it became required. Yeah. Like you have to come to this. And, and the motivation then is, is we're going to give you grace for doing it. Like the church, not God, but the church is going to give some sort of grace for your attendance, you know, to benefit you, mm-hmm. um, you know, as motivation to come and perhaps you'll drop some money in our offering box too. That mm-hmm. would be great. Right. I'm being facetious, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And and so when the reformers came and they got rid of all that stuff, that was probably necessary. That was why. It, yeah, it's yeah. being abused. So it was the abuse of it, the adding on of these these other things to 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 get together to remember. I think is very biblical. Um, right. Yeah. And so when next season we're going to talk about that. How do how can we recover feasting? Yeah. Um, in a way that's um in conformity with God's word mm-hmm. and not an idolatrous. Yeah. Fair circle. Yes. They became fair circle about it. All right. So let's go to a, do a couple more. Okay. So the next, so we're talking about sins forbidden, forbidden in the second commandment. Yep. So the second one is tolerating a false religion, yep. then making any representation of God of all or of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature at all. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. This is a weird one. And I, I would say like in our presbytery at, at I'm again, Presbyterian Church of America, I'm a ruling elder in our session. Um, there, there are a couple, um, you know, common exceptions you know, so I personally take an exception to this, this one in, in this caveat, right? So the intent of what it's saying is this, is that by, by creating a representation of God is that we're putting onto God, our own thinking, mm-hmm. our own thoughts, our own, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Warner Solomon comes and makes the head of Christ and everyone now thinks that Jesus is a white man. And this has caused Back then, if you were white or Scandinavian, no one cared. It looked like a nice piece of art. And a lot of these Warner Solomons were in all sorts of churches around the UP and even down into Green Bay because Warner Solomon visited here and Mm. did these murals and stuff like that. Um, But look at the look at the problems it's caused. Mm -hmm. Right. Who could foresee, you know, this great idea Mm -hmm. making an image of Jesus in our in our sanctuary. Um, yeah, there's, there's some problems to that. Jesus was not Swedish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wasn't, you know, and, yes. and, uh, and that's been a problem, but it's making Jesus in our own image. Um, you look at, um, things like, uh, the, the Jesus in the, uh, one of the most famous paintings I think is, uh, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, his arms outstretched, folded, praying, and he's agonizing in the garden. And and you're you're reminded when you see this as um, the suffering of Jesus and the agony he went through because we're sinners and it's for us mm-hmm. and for our fault. In the 1970s, we didn't like that too much, so we replaced it with the laughing Jesus. You know what I mean? You yes. can you can see it in your head, right? Yep. Yeah, that's a sin, right? Second command, Allison I, got you. I've just sinned I'm just on the kidding. podcast. <laughs> I'm just right. Anyway, the point is, I, the point is, is that this, this piece of art then is an image. And then people go, oh, I like that Jesus. Mm. And so when they think of Jesus, they think of the laughing Jesus. They don't want to think of the suffering Jesus. 
Right. They don't want to think of the, the Jesus that's just or yeah, or or on the cross and yeah, and uh, you know, I the 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 reason why why Protestant churches don't have a crucifix in their church is because they think it's in obedience to the Second Commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you hear a lot of people think, well, oh, the Catholics they think Jesus is still on the cross, and we think he's risen and not here, and you know that's it. No, that's kind of dumb. That's not really true. Right. Um, I think a lot of discomfort people have with the crucifixion is, is that it shows Jesus suffering. Mm-hmm. I'd rather think of him as laughing and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Right. I would like to think of my religious life, my life in Christ as being one of hanging out with Jesus. Yeah. Buddies being buddies. He's buddies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is the problem. Like this becomes, this becomes idolatrous mm-hmm. is that we want to impute onto Jesus what we want Jesus to be like, because that's the God I want to work. Yeah. And so that's wrong. So we, so even in our mind, it says we shouldn't be thinking of images in our mind. Well, how should we think about Jesus? How should we think about God through his word Yeah. and only his word? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's the, that's the intent of this. Mm-hmm. It's only through his word. And one, no one knows what God looks like the father, right? The Holy spirit you know, there could be, he did come down in the form of a dove. He came down in tongues of fire, mm-hmm. but the Holy Spirit's a spirit, mm-hmm. right? So how do you, how do you make an image of that? Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus was flesh and blood, blood. All right. So, so in my opinion, again, this is an opinion. I took an exception to this um, in my session, thought it was, it was fine. Because Jesus could have had a picture taken because he was actually in a the person. flesh, a person, yeah. um, that that I would say in, for the purposes of art or illustration, that it could be permissible, um, you know, for teaching. for mm-hmm. Like I just mentioned different pieces of art. And when you think of it as art and, and it's communicating an aspect of the artist's mind, um, I think that, that, that there can be some fruitful thinking about it, Mm. but I will acknowledge, and I say this with complete sincerity and honesty to all of you is that we must be careful because our hearts love to make idols of things, Mm -hmm. right? We, we, so, so I'm not saying this willy nilly. I'm saying you've got to be very careful and I would never, ever want pictures of Jesus in a sanctuary lest we start to think we're worshiping that Jesus, mm-hmm. that depiction. Yeah. Th- this is taking this in a slightly different direction, Ron, but I, this is why the, um, like literacy matters so much Yeah, because people need to be able to read God's word Yes, and know him that way. Yes. And there's such profound just the profound wisdom of God that he knows the hearts of man and knows that that is how we need to know him. Like every other way we devise results in problems. What does Paul say to Timothy about what he should devote himself to? The studying. The public reading of mm. scripture. Why? Because not everyone can read. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. read, 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 read. Now here's, here's where I'm going to cause some consternation. Um, Okay. I've watched the passion of the Christ. It was incredibly moving, incredibly moving. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And I think it's because the images of that have been affected me in a way that I think of that being Jesus. Mm. Mm -hmm. I've never watched the chosen. I don't ever want to watch the chosen. Because I know the Passion of the Christ was Mel Gibson's vision of Jesus, and the Chosen is someone. There's an agenda. Mm-hmm. There's there's people's ideas. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be true to it. They're trying to make it more realistic. I I think you know some people might say, well, it's really helped me in my. Well, I don't care. Right. It's not right. And it's not having faith in God's ordinary means of grace. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It is if you're going to spend time, turn off the chosen, and pick up the gospels and read. Mm-hmm. Right, allow God to work in it in that you're reading, 
and encountering God's word through his word. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's the, that's, that's the thing. And by the way, when I watched the passion of the Christ, I had not come to the reformed view of things. So that's my excuse, but I repent of it now. <laughs> um, it, it was, I, I was bawling like a baby in the theater and I was so conscious of the fact that I was crying like a blubbering. And I turned and I saw the guys that I came with, they were all crying too. And I thought, okay, I'm all right. It's all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. So th- that's, that's part of it. Um, yeah. Read, read the next ones. Okay. So um, again, sins that are forbidden um, in the second commandment. All worshiping of any kind of image or God in it or through it, making any representation of pretended deities and all worship of them or service belonging to them, all superstitious activities. Let's just stop there for just a second. Yeah. There, there are so many times, again, the heart of man is really warped where we think that if we do a particular thing, a particular way, like a pattern, that somehow it's it's a giving to us some sort of power, mm-hmm. right? Some sort of this this activity is opening up somehow the grace of God in our life. Yeah, even we might not even see it that way or talk about it this way. You know, if I, you know, if I go to this particular church on this particular day, that's going to give me good luck or mm. good fortune. Or, Something mm-hmm. like that. If I if I say uh, a rosary or pray Hail Mary, a Hail Mary, or, or yeah. uh, you know three Our Fathers, or you know um, if I if I do something in a particular way, that's somehow going to connect me in a special or unique way to God. It's not prescribed in Scripture. Mm-hmm. We're just deluding ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, could it? Could should we get in habits? of availing ourselves to his ordinary means? Of yes. course. Yeah. We should pray every day. We should read his word every day. You know, have those devotions. We should meditate on those words. We should, right? But the the idea is that that is somehow um giving some sort of extra favor to me. Mm-hmm. That's superstition. Mm-hmm. Knock it off. Right. Not, right. It's not God is not acting because we're doing right. He's not reacting because of our correct, our behavior or activity. Correct. Yeah. And if we trust God with all our heart and, and we acknowledge him and all that we do, he will direct our paths. Mm-hmm. That, and that's all we have to do. Mm-hmm. We're, we don't have to do these extra b- bizarre things. Yeah. Now in the course of your life, there might be a time where you feel strongly God's directing you to do, this, this thing, that's a little different. Talk to people, ask your pastor. I feel like I should be doing this. Why, why, you know, what's the purpose of, you know, whatever. And, and that might be some, some way in which God is directing your path in. Yeah. But I guarantee you, he's not going to be directing you into um, going through beads to gain some sort of merit for yourself or your cause. That doesn't, that's not how God works. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Next. Okay. Corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented and taken up on our own or received by tradition from others, whether under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense. Yeah. So uh, uh, a a thought on this might be this, Um, you know, I'm, I'm at a church serving at a church and we're doing Advent candles. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That seems to be a um, received by tradition um, of antiquity. It's a devotion with good intent. Does that mean we can't do it? I I don't know. I I it seems to be some way in which we can visualize the coming of Christ into the world. Um, there's good reason for it. There's, how do we know that's an idol then? Well, the best way to find out is, is that don't do it next year. Mm-hmm. Right. If all of a sudden everyone's mad because of this tradition, well, perhaps it had become an idol. Mm-hmm. Right. So, cause it's no, it's not prescribed. Right. You don't, 
you don't have to do this. Are there reasons, right? Are there other instances in scripture where God used the lighting of lamps or the candles? And so, yeah, you can, you can make a good justification for these such use of candles. I, mm-hmm. I think, um, obviously it's a, not all reformed churches would go along with that. Some would say, Nope, it's just completely mm. right. Well, how do you, how do you know? Well, try to get rid of it. <laughs> if you can't get rid of it and it's probably an idol idol. Then you probably need to, and then you need to. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this gets kind of tricky. It, yes. You know, because I think about that, the advent candle or the advent wreath that yeah. you know that we do at home. And there's something really sweet about like the, the remembering component and the annual remembering and the ritual as a family or as a church family that isn't inherently bad. Right. Um, So how do you, how do you slice that up other than just what you've described? Is there anything else? Like, is it a heart attitude you're needing to examine or? I think so. Like, what's the purpose? If the purpose of the Advent wreath is to point us to Jesus and his coming, mm-hmm. um, and you withdraw, you take away the wreath. Right. Are you unable to then to do that? Right. Well, then perhaps what we've been doing isn't really working. Right. Perhaps what we've been doing is a tradition mm-hmm. for the sake of the tradition rather than it actually pointing. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that I think is the, the big thing Mm -hmm. and just, and discern, right? So if, if uh, what happens if, Oh, we didn't get to light the advent candle at this particular time when we normally do it. Right. Shake it off and move on. Shake it off and move on. Right. Right. It's not that, that, that is not the, the advent wreath is not the thing. Right. It's the, it's the thing that points us to the thing. Right. Yeah. And if we didn't have advent wreaths, we'd be okay. We'd all be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this becomes a, a problem when we see people thinking because they could, they do all the trappings, they could do all this stuff yeah, and have nothing to do with Jesus. Right. That's, that's where it comes really bad. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we, we can't, uh, we can't get our, we can't do that, which is why it's good just not to do stuff mm-hmm. just because. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. We're going to go to the last few and then uh, we're almost done here. Okay. So buying or selling religious privileges. Yep. Sacrilege. Yep. And then all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances that God has appointed. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, haven't seen you in church in a long time. You wish you should come. Well, I, I really, you know, on Sunday mornings, I take this walk in the woods and I really feel close to God. Okay. So you're sinning. Come to church and worship like God has prescribed. And take your walk a different day. Take your walk a different day. Yeah. Or a different time. Or after, yeah. You're hindering, right? And here's the problem, Allison. Our hearts are very idolatrous. And if we can be the one in charge, if if we can be the one on our own throne rather than God and just make it seem like we're righteous, Mm -hmm. boy, isn't that the sweet spot everyone wants to be in? <laughs> it really is. Right? Darn it. Darn it. Yeah. But our hearts are, we can't, this is why we need accountability. We need people who are going to say, that's the stupidest. Listen to me. When I hear people, especially men, say, I really feel close to God up in the woods when I'm hunting, and therefore I'm going to skip church for the next couple of Sundays to hunt. And they're trying to justify it by that. That's such stupidity. Mm-hmm. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know it. I know it. So please don't say that anymore. Like you just want to hunt. You hunt. You like to hunt more than you like to go to church. Yeah. And that's why you're hunting on a Sunday morning. Just be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Now, is that wrong? Yeah. At, but at least we're both men and talking about it. And being honest. With and you. being honest. Yeah. But I, can, I can't tell you how many times I've had men say that to my face. And I just laugh. Like what? Are you, are you kidding me? Like that's what are you five? And you're talking to, you're trying to, you know, yeah, get away with something to your dad or something. I don't know how, why, but it's, yeah, of course you feel close to God up in the, like, why wouldn't you? Cause you want to be there. You don't mm-hmm. want to be in church. You'd rather be there than in church and you're making up some excuse and it's just wrong. Don't do it. Grow up, be a man, obey, obey, be in church. Okay. Now that's another controversial thing. And then the final thing, 
What are the reasons added to the second commandment? The reasons added to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over us, his ownership in us, and the zeal he has for his own worship. Yeah. God is zealous for us, for his people. And it's good that we worship the way he is intended. Like, he has given us the instructions on how to worship. And that's what we should do mm-hmm. for our good. Yes. For our own good. So this is what zealousness meant. He's not jealous in the sense of, you know, um, oh no, you know, he's following some other God and I, got, you know, I'm insecure about this, right? That's not God. Right. Zeal for, for us or jealous, the jealousness that often is translated jealous and is not envy. It's that he has a zeal or a jealousness for us. And so he's going to do everything to protect us. Mm. So when I see, um, you know, and he, I had a Bible professor who loves uh, hot rods, just loves really, you know, classic old power muscle cars. And, and he said, imagine if I saw, you know, this, this, uh, you know, old Mustang just all souped up, coming up to the gas station and the owner starts to put in instead of some high quality gasoline starts to put in some sort of, you know, water E85 or something that he know it's going to ruin the engine. Yeah. Right. What's going to, he's jealous being a car lover. He is jealous for that car. He's going to go and say something to the owner. Mm -hmm. Like you can't do that. Look, that's, that's going to wreck everything. Yeah. Right. It's not pettiness. It's because he loves that car. Mm-hmm. Even it's even that car that's not even his own. Mm-hmm. He'll do it. Well, this is what God is like. He, he has a jealousness for us, a zeal for us and for his worship because of it's how it's good for us. Mm-hmm. And when we disobey, it's not good. And so that's why he, that's added to it. Yeah. Um, and so there's, it's, it's not good for us. Um, he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but he'll show steadfast love to the thousands. And the idea here is this in, in Jesus's day, or I'm sorry, in Moses's day, you know, you, you often lived with three or four generations in a home, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's going to be, when you, when you commit idolatry, it's going to have an effect on the entire household, mm-hmm. but following rightly is going to have blessing for generations to come. Mm-hmm. So stop committing idolatry. Everyone. How's that sound? It's good. <laughs> All right. Sounds like God's word. It, yes, it is. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>